Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name's Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Triple cooked chips. And my adulthood friend, Mintola Budo. There are no petting zoos. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into this week's episode, we just want to point you in the direction of our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Our3Cents is where you can find it, and you can find there all manner of extraordinary perks in exchange for some pennies of support. So if you're enjoying what we're doing here at O3C, then do please have a look at ways in which you could help us develop further. And we will bestow unto you such things as deleted scenes, outtakes, custom artwork, full bonus episodes, which are very good, and we'll even let you into the hallowed grounds of the O3C Discord channel, where you can chat with us, with fellow patrons, and all our special guests from our bonus episodes. For all other ways to engage with us, you can check out our link tree, which is linktr.ee forward slash O3C podcast. So this week we have Minty's fourth favourite video game of all time. I can't wait to find out what it is. I have a pretty good idea of what's left on Chris's list. Uh, I mean, certainly after, you know, I mean, there's only three games left. So there's not a huge boast, is it? <laughs> but Minty's, I, I mean, ooh, it could be anything. Could be anything. And it is going to be something, so you're right. But before we do that, it is time to return to the quiz. But before we do that, ah. it's time to <laughs> return. It's time to return to the the quizmaster gets quizzed. Oh, quizception! Is uh, what we're going to be calling this section from here and here, here on out. So, quizzed all over myself. Are you ready for another fiendish, another ghoulish, another devilish question, Jonathan Dunn? Uh, you know what? I have no idea what to expect, so I can't <laughs> honestly say I am ready. But okay. let's do it anyway. Sure. We all know <laughs> that the Mario Brothers surname is Mario, but can you tell me what the two brothers' first names are? um well if it's not mario and luigi then i am i'm i uh, well i I don't know is is it well in a shocking turn of events i can only award you half (gasps) because you've got luigi right but unfortunately it's luigi mario and super Super mario Mario. yeah unlucky jonathan Which means you only get 25 points today, <laughs> which I think puts you at 175 at the moment, is it? Considering that you are both on 71 points each, um, I'm going to say I've cultivated quite the lead. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the manner in which I've done that, I'll leave that up to our listeners to decide how fair that is. So after the last couple of weeks of uh, low scoring, uh, including last week's absolute fiasco of a round, <laughs> uh, I thought I'd do a round this week that guaranteed some points because it's a who guesses closest round. Oh, love it. And this will be revolving <laughs> around some whopping numbers. This is the big numbers game. So I'm going to give you an empty statistic and you have to guess the amount that pertains to it. Whoever guesses closest wins a point. And there are seven questions. So one of you is ending up in the lead as well. <laughs> yeah. 
Question one. In the original God of War game, Kratos had a facial polygon count of 1,200 polygons. What is his facial polygon count in the PS4 God of War reboot game? 750,000. Cripes. I'm going to say 35,000. The point goes to Minty. Of course. I didn't even need to get a calculator out for that for... The answer was 32,000. Well done, Minty. Well done. Question number two. How many games are there on Steam? 52,000. 64,000. The point goes to Chris Dallas. The correct answer at at the time of writing this question was 46,367 games. Question three. How many units of the N-Gage did Nokia manage to sell? (laughs) 70,000. Oh, 82,000. The point goes to Menti. Oh. Surprisingly, the, the correct answer is 3 million. Oh, geez. What? We were nowhere near. I, I was massively underestimating on that one. Number four. How many individual commands did it take for Twitch to beat Pokemon? Oh, 5.7 million. 5.2 million. Ooh. I mean, you've done the sensible thing there, Minty, by going just slightly over or slightly under. Unfortunately, you went slightly under. The correct answer is 122 million. So Chris gets the point. <laughs> Bloody hell. Because you were only out by 117 million. Well done. Man, oh man. Question number five. How many people play Candy Crush at least once a month? 850 million. 400 million. The point goes to Minty. The correct answer is 273 million. Oh, really? I was giving it more credit than it deserves, (laughs) clearly. Okay, question six. What is the total combined units sold of Nintendo's home and handheld consoles? All of their home consoles, all of their handheld consoles put together worldwide. How many have they sold? Two billion. I'm going to go for 1.1 billion. The correct answer is 847.85 million. So the point goes to Chris. Yes. Wow. Okay, well, we've got one last question. We've got one last question, which is going to decide who comes out on top of this. So... Number seven, how much is the estimated gaming industry's revenue in dollars to date? It's Oh, it's got to be at least a trillion. No, that's silly numbers. They don't exist. No, no. <laughs> 650 billion. Okay, the correct answer is $180.1 billion. Uh, so the point goes to Chris. It does. Oh. Congratulations. So uh, Chris wins the round and we end on 74 points to Minty and 75 points to Chris. Yes. There we go. Oh, I'm so happy. So before we dive into what Minty's fourth favourite video game of all time is, let us let's have a quick chat, a little confabulation about what we have been playing this week. Minty, why don't you kick us off? What has occupied your thumbs and eyes in the last week? So I've cracked on with, uh, with Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth almost exclusively. I knew nothing about this game going in. Well, I, I, knew, I knew that it was a good game near universal critical acclaim 
many positive reviews from um, from individual gamers and all that sort of thing. I knew that I I loved Digimon as a kid, so I, I there was no there was no danger of me not enjoying it. But I have no idea what I'm doing or where the story <laughs> is taking me. It's crazy. Mm. I thought it was just I thought it was going to be like a like a Detective Pikachu style thing because the name sleuth is in the title no remembering what i what i do about uh, about the the original digimon adventure anime i'm at the point in the story that is it's wild and it's crazy but it's also very much in keeping with uh, with what digimon is about it's incredible fun i'm really enjoying finding all of my old favorite Digimon and finding some new ones as well. My team is currently uh, Machine Dramon, who I thought was my favorite Digimon. But also, I have... Uh, most of my Digimon are from the uh, from the Draymon Digimon subspecies, who, of course, have to have a certain amount of uh, a dragon digital data to be called the Draymons. I've got a Break Draymon, who is like, imagine if you asked somebody who was just obsessed with construction sites to design a dinosaur. Sure. It's like three bulldozers and a load of like just random cement and concrete made into a big dragon thing. It, lo- it's, it, it looks dumb as hell, but it's really fucking cool as well at the same <laughs> time. And a, a nice little touch is that when you digivolve your Digimon, if you haven't discovered what they digivolve into, they digivolve into one of maybe five different Digimon. They are silhouetted, so you can't be like, "Oh, I haven't seen Greymon in my adventure yet," but this one evolves into Greymon because I see it there. It's 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 completely blacked out, so you just go on a hunch. Oh, this one sort of looks like it has a horn, so I'll go for that. Sometimes you're surprised. Sometimes you'll find a new favorite. Sometimes they're crap. But that's part of the joy, isn't it? It's like Digimon. It started out as um, as just Tamagotchis that you could battle, so you'd never know what what you were going to get. But yeah, it's got that nice sort of monster raising aspect built in in a, in a in a really nice way that works well with the fast paced gameplay and the battling and, and and the mystery of the story as well. It's, it's it's great. I'm having a really great time with it actually. Good. I'm also playing on the tablet. Evo Pop. Evo Pop. Yes. It's it's one of those sort of it's it's one of those free games that you can get with uh, with with microtransactions and such as that. <sighs> you play as a cube and it's like worms but instead of having weapons it's mitosis, right? Mhm. You have a few different abilities. You can either make your Evo grow or you can make your Evo split into smaller Evos. Um, you can eat things like bushes and trees, um, and if you if you touch an enemy Evo that is smaller than you, you eat it, and you either win by getting three hundred Evos by splitting and growing and splitting and growing, or by being the last Evo standing. Hmm. It's, it's it's just one of those like oh, play a level against a couple of um, a couple of opponents, and a match lasts three minutes. It's just gentle colorful fun it's 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 just a fine little game that you can play in between games chris how about you what have you played this last week been another slim week for me my weekend was taken up by 
recent guest and brother, Tom Dow, was having a stag party. And because of that, it was predictably quite a games light weekend. Mm -hmm. We did play a few matches of Pro Evo 6. Ah, So I took my Xbox up for it, which was a a great laugh. Forever on brand. Yeah, but there is only so much you can really say about a football game. You know, goals were scored and misses were lamented and and that's it, (laughs) you know. But it, it was fun enough. In the week itself, I kept trying to start Samus Returns after it arrived, I think last Monday. But I just never had the the energy and the, and the oomph to sit down and do it. Some days that meant that it was me who was just worn out when I finally sat down and opened up the 3DS. Others, that was down to the 3DS just literally being out of charge. <laughs> because the, the one thing about that console, if you have the, the Wi-Fi switch on, it does really drain fast. Yeah. Uh, of all the handhelds I've had, like my, my Vita, I can keep in a drawer for three months and it will have a bit of juice in it. A Game Boy Advance, you can pull out of a drawer seven years later and it's still going. But the 3DS really does run dry. After recording last week, I did play a bit more Mario Golf, knocking through a few more rounds of the cross-country mode. And that mode in particular, it's so close to being okay, but it's just (laughs) not quite there. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's it's better than the, the straight speed golf because there is a bit of strategy in that mode. And when you start playing a bit more, you have to consider the clubs you're taking for the terrain. You have to think about, do you want to take more clubs to cover, you know, more eventualities or do you want to exchange having less clubs for a kind of a faster running speed because you're not weighed down? Do you try and take tough faraway holes first and then double back to the easy greens or do you play more logically across the course taking just the difficulty spikes in your stride? Like on paper, these are all interesting deviations, like things to actually think about to make the golfing experience more interesting i suppose mm. but as i said last time it's just not as fun as a straight round of mario golf from the game boy color no. we've talked before about iterative games replacing previous titles on our lists like smash bros for example but there is no way super rush is taking mario golf spot on mine or anyone's list i wouldn't have thought no. because it's yeah i don't know I, I think i'm at the point where i might be leaving it for a little while seeing what the kind of dlc stuff looks like and then deciding where I stand with the game but yeah like you mentioned last time it is it is a disappointment the only other thing I've dabbled with at all this week for about half an hour is a game that you recommended to me Jonathan but off air one week oh god because (laughs) knowing that I I love a shit game you had forwarded a review for a switch kart racer called Renzo Racer (laughs) and uh, the review was from Nintendo Life and it was absolutely savage And at the time, I really wanted to play it. Like, it looked so bad. I was like, oh, got to play this. But on the eShop, it was like 30 quid, I think. Jesus. Like, a price that is far above my limit for A, being a digital-only title, and B, just for shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I don't mind playing rubbish games, but I don't want to spend out too much money to do it. But one of my fun tasks I do sometimes is I, I browse Amazon pages across the, the EU for physical releases the UK has missed out on. And I found that Germany got a copy of Renzo Racer and it was only 15 euros shipped to my door. <laughs> so picked it up. Uh, it's, it's fucking dreadful. <laughs> but it's not as bad as that game I played a few weeks back called Speed 3 that I trudged through a few months back. Yeah. Because in, in Renzo Racer, the, the graphics are serviceable, I'd say. The music isn't terrible, but then the handling is is awful. The power-ups are really limited. The collisions, which there will be many, often shoot you up into the air, onto your head, into opposing traffic. Like, it's not good. The tournament system as well doesn't seem to acknowledge scoring properly. So one time I finished a set of four races in joint first, so I had the same points as the, the other character at the top of the leaderboard, only for the game to say, too bad, you came fourth. And it's like, did I? <laughs> That's not what the screen in front of me is saying. And then the next time I played it, I finished mid-table. So I think I was about fifth. 
and it just went and there's your gold cup good job <laughs> so I, I don't understand what it's doing it's absolutely bananas and it is awful and it is it's going to be immortalized next to big bobby car in my hall of shame <laughs> but playing this sort of stuff there's all sorts of reasons why i i like shit games and we answered a listener question months ago now where i i remember describing bad games for me sometimes i enjoy them because they're quite low effort affairs your, your brain doesn't have to do a lot of work there's no cultural expectation for you to get something out of the experience and and sometimes when i'm busy and, and i've got stuff on it's it's kind of just like a popcorn piece of entertainment but i, I think there is a bit more to it than that and part of it, like I mentioned, like ordering from Germany, I do enjoy the collection and the kind of the, the curation of my, you know, my, my games library. And obviously that is a draw for me and my interests. But I do have this, I don't know, just fascination that everything we play, good or bad, is, is running on computer systems that are basically built around just tiny bits of rock that humans taught to say yes or no <laughs> and then through iterative layered development that process has led to me controlling something on my screen and and I don't think I'll ever get over how impressive that is when I actually give it a few seconds to think about and because of that regardless of the quality of the game I'm playing I'm, I still have this weird residual pang of excitement knowing that humans have built things as varied as Tetris or, or indeed Renzo Racer. And, and it gives me like a sort of philosophical appreciation that we've reached a point in human development where we can synthesize and control things on a screen that I, I just find that so impressive. You know, the, the screen in itself, whether that's on a laptop or a phone or a handheld or a TV, it's just a strange liminal space that represents everything and nothing at the same time. You know, nothing is there. It's just lights. We're just flashing lights in our faces. And yet, you know, we, we can be somewhere amazing or we can be playing some absolute dog shit, but it's it's all there. And Renzo Racer doesn't need to be played by anyone, but I'm still glad these games exist because bad art is still art, I think is what I'm trying to say. And and whether technology is being used for fantastic life-affirming pieces of media like everything on our list or absolute shovelware horseshit, I just, I love that there are people dedicating time to to making games and and. You know, you know, this whole show has just been about how much we love this hobby, and it's kind of taking the good and the bad. It's just it's all stuff that's part of it, and I, I'm just very entrenched in enjoying this as an industry and just a thing that I I am here to live alongside. So yeah, terrible game, don't buy it. But still, it's it's quite nice to just have there in the corner, just a little reminder of a uh, human progress and achievement. <laughs> I mean. That's a whopping excuse and one that I don't buy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> As for me, I've played a few things this week. I beat all of the biomes and unlocked the final boss of Undermine. Ooh. But to be honest, it's a, it's a bit of an anti-climax because you do the final boss fight like, outside of a normal run. So it's not like you have to go through all the biomes and then do the final boss. So you're just your base character with no, like, augmentations at all. You know, it'd be like going from the character select screen on Binding of Isaac to fighting Delirium. And it's like, well, I don't know. It's just, it's just really boring. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's, it's quite annoying. And I couldn't really bring myself to keep trying it, to be honest. It felt like I'd beaten the game by getting through all the biomes and you get to like an end room obviously i haven't seen the end of the the story as it were by beating this final boss i mean i might 
I might go back and, and try it again at some point, but to be honest, I'm I'm quite happy to sort of put the game down for now. I've played, I put 30, 40 hours into it, and it was really, really good. There's, I mean, there's loads of things in the game to warrant doing more runs and keep unlocking stuff, even though I've, you know, sort of at the end of the game. So I may well, I may well pick it back up at some point, but I'm I'm quite content with putting it down for now and saying, yeah, that was that was that was good. In the meantime, I picked up a new. This is, I mean. Talking about staying on brand. I picked up a new indie Metroidvania Souls-like, <laughs> as is my way. And it's called Ender Lilies, Quietus of the Nights. Mm. And it's it's a, it's a nice little game. It's really good. I've completed it. I've, well, I've done one of its endings. Uh, there's there's a couple of different endings. But I, I, I've put that down again now because, I mean, it is it is good. But it's, it's so unoriginal. I think if I hadn't played Hollow Knight or Dark Souls then I'd be raving about the game. But as it is, there's not anything yeah. in the game that isn't done probably better in another game. And, and that's not to say the game's bad, because it's not. It's really, really good. And it's really tight. It's very well designed. It's got a beautiful art style. It's got, you know, sort of um, intriguing story. It's got a well, really well-designed map system uh, for, like, uh, Metroidvania. It changes it up slightly, encourages exploration. It's got a really clever combat system. But because it wasn't doing anything remarkably new from what I'd played before, it's just entirely forgettable, unfortunately. Like, I mean, if you haven't played Hollow Knight, or if Hollow Knight proved a bit too gruelling, I would recommend playing it, because it is, it gives you that that same experience. And, you know, for me, it's a, it's a nice little stopgap before we get Hollow Knight Silk Song, whenever that is. But yeah, I'm glad to have played it. But my gaming highlight of the last week has been the fact that I've, I've finally gotten into a monster hunter game oh yeah i know and I, i've been having a fantastic time playing monster hunter rise on the switch now I, I don't know exactly why i've struggled to get into the monster hunter games before but i tried playing monster hunter world on, on ps4 and i just just could not get into it and like i even played the demo of rise and i just couldn't i couldn't see the appeal like i don't i mean monster hunter world was had a it was very unforgiving for sort of newcomers. It sort of just just chucks you in and goes right there. You go, just do it. And I don't know what to do. I sort of felt like I needed to go back and play a load of the older games or watch a bunch of tutorials online or have somebody explain everything to me. I think I, I actually cited that as that thought that I had of like I shouldn't have to fight through ten hours of a game being miserable to then enjoy the other 30 hours in in a game which i which, yeah. which i which i did end up doing with dark souls admittedly and don't regret that but i think monster hunter world was actually my, my sort of my my example of that but i was actually convinced by a listener of the podcast called casper on twitter who had made some some good recommendations to me in the past like undermine and ender lilies and he, he really waxed lyrical about the appeal of monster hunter and i had a stack of games to trade in so i thought I'd, I'd go and do that and I'd pick it up and I'd start the game from the beginning as, you know, Rise is meant to be the most accessible game of the series for newcomers because there's been like loads of quality of life things brought into the game for the first time, which makes it considerably less overwhelming because, I mean, the game is so flipping deep with systems upon systems upon systems and there has been a lot to take in. And, and actually, I did actually watch a YouTube video of like beginner's guide, things you need to know. <laughs> and to be fair, like the nice thing about it is you don't have to understand everything in the game to actually access any of it. You can just get 
the hang of the basic gameplay loop of like hunting and crafting and I found a weapon that I, I, I like, you know, and so now I can make progress in the game and then slowly explore all the other bits in the game bit by bit to sort of augment my adventure. And it's just, it's really good fun. It's really addictive as well. And yeah, I mean, I can see myself playing a lot more of it going forward. I am aware that Skyward Sword is out in, well, next next week even. So I'm aware that I probably will put Monster Hunter down whilst I play through Skyward Sword. I'm also, I'm yet to play Monster Hunter online in co-op, which is obviously, like, it's a huge side of the game. And, you know, I've heard several people say it's the it's the best co-op experience you can have in a game. Uh, but because I, I, you know, I obviously looking after a baby and everything, I, I, I can't really just dedicate blocks of time to gaming at the moment. I have to sort of do pick up and play stuff. So it's tricky for me to find the right time to, to try that out. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, to a time when I can. I'm, I'm really, really glad that I've sort of broken the back of of this game and this series even because, I you know, it, everything about it was like it was designed for me to enjoy and it was always frustrating that I couldn't get into it. I said like uh, a couple of weeks back when we were talking about E3 and how much sort of love is being shown for Monster Hunter, especially on the Switch and how, how great that would be if you were into that, into that series and I'm very glad to say that that yeah i i can i can i can feel that i've i've opened the door and i've entered the monster house <laughs> the realm <laughs> so without further ado we shall hand the plate over to minty to serve up his fourth favorite video game of all time unto our ears a couple of weeks ago we heard about super mario odyssey from chris as a tantalizing opener Mario Odyssey owes everything to this game. Before we begin today, join me for a moment in thinking about any treasured pets you might have. Uh, If you you don't have any pets at the moment, why not try and uh, find one to look at on the internet, your television, or even uh, out of your window? This way you don't have to own them. Animals are great. I love animals a lot. Uh, Are you two thinking about an animal at the moment? Yes. I am, yeah. Okay, cool. If you had to make that animal you're thinking of better in one way, what would that way be? Be less fucking belligerent. (laughs) (laughs) And Chris? Even softer fur. Very soft fur. That's right. Biomechanics would make these animals better. (laughs) Wheels, guns, a sword for a tail. Jetpacks, propellers. Why settle for a house cat that just lays on your chair and meows every now and then when it could have robotic augmentations that let it take out the bins? Do you know who's got a really complicated history? Rockstar. I figured, hey, Rockstar are huge. This will be a good factor at the start of today's game to get the gears turning. They made my fourth favourite video game. They've made a lot of great games just in general, so it could be anything. It could be be GTA, it could be Lemmings, Red Dead Redemption. But then you sort of take a step back and you think, oh, well, they're owned by Take-Two Interactive. That's even better. It could be so much more. This is is very tantalising. It could be Bioshock. It could be NBA 2K. It could be Tank Ticks. (laughs) Of course, this podcast features the granular knowledge of one Christopher Dow, so I'm thoroughly expecting, once I tell you what the game is, 
for him to say, well, actually, it was made by uh, DMA Design before they became <laughs> Rockstar North, who are only the British subsidiary of Rockstar Games. You moron. You bastard. You're doing my job for me, Minty. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I've, I have just sent over a text to Jonathan as sort of a, a clairvoyance demonstration. There is a fact about this game that I would be most surprised if Chris didn't know. No pressure. Let's get into it. Okay. Today, we have an immensely fun, colourful, inventive and enjoyable N64 game, which was released simultaneously with The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, which the development team of my game attributed uh, the poor sales of this game to, despite being quite, really quite critically acclaimed. Reviewers love the level design, the variety of settings and the playable characters, the vibrancy of the colour palette, despite it not having the polish or finesse of some of the real heavy hitters that were out there at the time, like Banjo-Kazooie or Mario 64. Doing a little reading into the development of this game, two things stood out to me. The mantra of, it's got to be fun, underpinning the process, and the succinct evaluation that what makes this game so distinguishable from other games is its distinctive British humour. Now, remember, this is an N64 game, so the reference point that there was uh, for this was found in classics like uh, Red Dwarf, Reeves and Mortimer, The Young Ones, even early Wallace and Gromit. Some of them were good-natured, some were anarchic, some were often underpinned by dry and surreal wits, and they all had uh, real character and real heart to them. So, without further ado, allow me to announce that my fourth favorite video game of all time is if late night bbc 2 in the 90s was a game space station silicon valley unbelievable i've never heard of it <laughs> <laughs> i i wanted to play it for years and i have never ever booted it up goodness me in any capacity what a curved ball <laughs> <laughs> This was not on my prediction list, Minty. I'll say that. Oh, yeah. Goodness yeah. me. <laughs> Goodness me, Minty. Ooh. Oh, tell us more. Well, in the year 3000, Space Station Silicon Valley suddenly reappears after being presumed lost in space after mysteriously vanishing seven... Fucking hell. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> sorry as you were okay in the year 3000 space station silicon valley suddenly reappears after being presumed lost in space after mysteriously vanishing seven minutes after launching in 2001 following the mysterious disappearance of multiple expeditions to retrieve the space station dan danger and evo heroes for hire are sent to investigate. After crash-landing their ships squarely on top of a beautiful, blossoming love story between a dog and a sheep, <laughs> the heroes discover that all of the animals on the space station have merged with the technology on the space station, becoming terrifying and hostile cyborgs. Evo's eject-to-seat malfunctions and scatters his body parts across the four biomes of the space station – Europa, the Arctic, the jungle and the desert – Reduced to a rapidly deteriorating microchip, Evo does... He does what any of us would do in this situation. He'd jump into the body of the robotic dog that his spaceship just killed, assuming its form and gaining access to its unique abilities such as barking and jumping. 
If he joins Jonathan on his adventures into Balan Wonder World, Wonder shit. one of the many, many criticisms <laughs> leveled at that game was the fact that there was no dedicated jump button, that you had to have a uh, a hat, a costume, yeah, that allowed you to yeah, jump. This is totally accurate. Yeah. Yep. Well, you've got this game to thank for that, because <laughs> the same thing is in play here, but it's not shit. Right, it's part of the pu- <laughs> it's part of the puzzle solving in each level. Let's say you start off as a as a mouse. You're on wheels because mice are quick, and you've got a pointy tail to attack things with because mice have those gross little worm tails. You can boost to, to jump over ramps, but you take damage if you enter the water. So how are you going to get across the river? Well, fear not. There's a sheep nearby that can take a dip like a fucking champ, but can't attack. <laughs> So you kill the sheep, you get into its body, and then you can go across the river. But there's a fox on the other side of the river, and there's no bag of corn for Evo to jump into. So you need to find a switch on the other side of the river to raise a bridge as the sheep, so you can get to the next area as the mouse, attack and kill the fox, who can use its unique abilities to solve the puzzles later in the level. The the N64 didn't have X and Y buttons, so each animal only has two abilities, and jumping not being one of them isn't a hindrance, because it's it's built into the puzzle platforming instead of just being an incredible oversight in 2021. You mental people. <laughs> Hippos can't jump in real life. Why should they in the game? You know what I mean? The technical augmentations are just that. They're augmentations. They're the, the biomechanical conclusion of an individual animal's strengths. The elephant can grab rocks blocking your path and attack enemies by spraying water. There are two kinds of tortoises. One is heavily armoured and has a cannon because they're basically nature's tanks. (laughs) But remember what we said earlier about distinctive British humour? There's another tortoise that's incredibly fast and uses his boost power to ram into enemies. There are rabbits that use their ears as helicopter blades and drop tiny bombs like little rabbit shits on other animals. (laughs) There's the fox that uses its big swishy brush tail as a mace. One kangaroo that boxes, and another kangaroo that's half pogo stick and attacks with a fucking boomerang. They're, they're all there, and their abilities either make sense or the opposite of sense, and it all works amazingly. Each level is admittedly pretty small. Like you, can, you can zoom out the camera and see the entire map, but it's not a case of just going from A to B. You've got a set of missions to complete before you can enter the teleporter to get to the next area to grab the rest of your body parts. Some are fairly utilitarian, like find an animal small enough to go through the tube to press a switch in this room to open the door, for example. Some of them are just padding. Like I'll admit this, but it still works because it's because it's it's, it's fun to do. Get a kangaroo, kill all the spinning foxes, destroy all the speakers because the music is pissing Dan Danger off. <laughs> Some obstacles don't really have a demonstrable point, but it doesn't matter because it still works. It's a puzzle. It's a box that's easily ticked. Ah, oh, cool. I've turned off the big machine. Objective clear. What did it do? I, I don't know. I, I don't even care. On to the next objective. <laughs> I, I've got to kill a seagull. It's bonkers, and it's really, really fun to play with just enough variety and accommodating geography that you can complete levels how you want if you've got the skills to do it. There's, there's a couple of really good speedruns knocking around on the internet that just completely skip what you would think are completely necessary animals. And if you've not played it, you might be a little underwhelmed watching it because, oh, they've just jumped onto a ledge. But no, dear viewer, they've skipped about five minutes of gameplay there 
and being harassed by a scorpion on this part of the level by realising that they can drag the corpse of the desert fox across the water on the back of the super camel. There's layers of puzzlements, no matter how you decide to play it. And I'm not going to mention the final level because I went into it blind when I played it all those years ago, and I'm glad I did so. And I wouldn't want to take that away from anybody who rightfully decides to give it a whirl. So lastly, I'm going to say that the music is fantastic. It's like elevator music if the elevator went a little bit faster than usual and maybe had a window so you could see a cool thing through <laughs> you going up and down. <laughs> Gentle jazzy jams that aren't quite Muzak, but sort of have that have that sort of cool toe tapping vibe but not necessarily uh, something you go out your way to listen to but it's good enough and it's it's completely unobtrusive in the game that you do find yourself just humming along anyway it's it's really great really great music so yes space station silicon valley it's a mad game it's fearlessly inventive and brilliantly designed and it stands in a field of exactly one it's the best game on the Nintendo 64. And if we treat hardware innovations and the developmental advancements it brings, like we do uh, inflation, I would say it's probably the best platformer of all time as well. Bloody hell. Goodness. <laughs> fucking hell. I don't think any of us saw that one coming. Well, apart from you, Minty. Obviously. Not a chance. This is, like I said, it's a game that I remember seeing in magazines. So this was back, obviously, like a magazine era where I got all the information about games that I wanted to play. And for some reason, I always really coveted Space Station Silicon Valley. And I don't think I ever saw it in a store. Mm. By the time I picked up an N64, the console was already essentially on its on its way out. I was quite late to, to pick one up. So it wasn't like I could walk into a regular store and see it in the charts because nothing was stocked. Everything I was buying was secondhand. And it's just one of those games, I, I, it never comes back into my consciousness enough to think, oh, I'll give that a go, like on an emulator or, or via a flashcard or whatever. So I, I've got access to it. I could these days. But this is the first time I've even thought this game existing <laughs> for probably a decade. So <laughs> if nothing else, Minty, you've, you've made a neuron in my brain fire yeah. that sat dormant for fucking years. <laughs> Speaking of fucking years, here's a little bit of deep lore for you. This is the last game of about three or four that have appeared on my list that I used to rent every summer holiday from Blockbuster. <laughs> so that's that's come full circle now. And I have to admit, I've got my sister to thank for that because we went into Electronics Boutique in about, oh gosh, well, yeah, it must have been the late 90s or early 2000s. And we're picking out a secondhand game that me and my sister could both enjoy. And my dad picked up Space Station Silicon Valley and said, well, what about this one? This looks fun. And I'd read the I'd read some reviews um, in the magazine. So I knew it was I knew it was great, like, you know, 90, 90, 92 percent all across the board. But I also sort of knew how it worked on paper. And I was like, this is incredibly complicated. And I don't think my sister's going to enjoy this. So we got Rakuga Kids instead. <laughs> and then we went back to Blockbuster the year after. She picked out Space Station Silicon Valley and we both loved it. Aww. So if you listen to this, Faye, uh, thank you for making this episode of the podcast happen in a way, I guess. Absolutely extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. I've never heard of the game. I've been looking at images from the game. It triggers no neurons. 
this old noggin. So yeah, bravo. Mm. Bra flipping vo. What was the fact, Minty, you said I would know? I thought that you would know that it had an incredibly shit PS1 port called Evo Space Adventure. Oh, that... Mm, it vaguely, vaguely rings a bell, but I, I don't think I've ever seen a picture of it. I think you've actually got me on something. <laughs> can I can I trade that for some points in the quiz? This has been a, a real a real roller coaster. This entry, <laughs> I, I I can't believe this is your number four. I, do you know what? <laughs> I'm not surprised, but I'm the one that's played it, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be one of the most niche picks on any of our lists it's up there with jurassic park on the game boy yeah i mean out of all mine if i had to offer the most obscure i'd, I'd probably go for txk on the vita mm. or proteus oh yeah that's quite it's a good game it is I've, I've, yeah, I've, yeah. <laughs> but anyway I've, i'm gonna have to find time to at least play the first little bit of um space station silicon valley it's just so much fun well you heard it here first folks there's a game called Space Station Silicon Valley that exists. <laughs> and it's Minty's fourth favourite video game of all time. Absolute scenes. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on social media. Tell a friend about it. Why not? Share the love. Invite them along to the O3C party. Please do get in touch with us. Ask us questions that you might like us to answer on a future episode. Tell us what your top 10 favourite video games of all time are. We're going to be featuring them in a future special episode. Tell us what you're playing. Tell us if you've heard or played Space Station Silicon Valley. You can find all of our social media links at linktr.ee forward slash O3C podcast. That's our link tree. Or you can reach out to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I, dear listeners, am Clement underscore Boo. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing and fancy supporting us even more than just by listening to the podcast and sharing it on your social media platforms, then you can head over to patreon.com slash hour3cents and look at some of the amazing perks you can get in exchange for some pennies of support. You'd be hugely appreciative yes and please do join us next week where i will be telling you about my fourth favorite video game of all time number four and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor we're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's author as the center of the universe. Some weeks, we do linguistic analysis. So the Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine, but so the changed meaning in Japanese, it means to temper. Other times, we get absolutely smashed. So we take one shot every time. Yusuke uses the ray gun. One hour later. This is the least coherent episode. <laughs> Sarah, you... I think your apartment is you can find out more about the Spirit Hunters right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hi, Stu. Hi, Luke. Do you fancy doing a podcast covering every segment of every episode of the beloved 90s cartoon Animaniacs? No, I hate Animaniacs. Join me, Luke, the Warner lover, and him, Stu, the Warner resistor for Animaniacs, covering every segment of every episode of the hit 90s cartoon Animaniacs, as well as its many spin-offs, including comics, video games, and the movie, not to mention the recent reboot. It's gonna be explainy to the max. Oh... 